just looking at it from the context of sales only i know that's at least for my industry any business right you need to drive sales I completely understand that and i'm not naive but i've, I've basically built our business around the fact that there's so much more you can do besides drive sales with email there's qualitative research there's ugc you can create content you can do engaging competitions with your audience zero party data uh, improve acquisition customer research there's so many things you can do with email and so many secondary objectives after driving revenue and I just feel as though they're massively, massively neglected by a lot of brands and marketers. Today in Inboxing, Adam Kitchen, CEO and founder at Clavio Master Elite Agency, Magnet Monster. And we're back and hopefully better than ever. I don't know if you, whoever was tuned in last night, we had some technical issues and it was horrible in many ways. <laughs> so. Hopefully today it'll be smooth sailing, but today we have a great guest and I'm really excited to just talk to him. We just had a little bit of conversation. That was great. But Adam Kitchen is sort of a hero to me in a little bit of a way because he's been growing his agency and creating awesome content to teach the world about how to do email marketing better, especially in the e-commerce space, as that's his main focus. It's the only focus, I understand. I hope you can handle the accent. <laughs> it's Liverpool, apparently, but I'll try. I might have to ask him to repeat things a few times, but hopefully not. And we'll add subtitles if possible. <laughs> but anyway, without further ado, please welcome Adam Kitchen. Wow. Hello. What, what an intro. I've never had one like that before. I really set the stage. I don't know whether to be proud or embarrassed. You should be proud, man. You've done a lot of great stuff. And it's been awesome watching you from afar. I appreciate it. Uh, so, yeah, it's an honor for me, really, to have you here. And we'll dive in and learn about what you've done and a lot of other stuff on the way. So let's go. Let's do it. All right. Can you just introduce yourself, who you are, where you're from, what happened? And how did you start this whole e-com, email? How did that happen? But now you're talking about it on this podcast. Okay. Let me try and give you like a very condensed version because I know we've got a lot of questions to get through. But my background when I was 17, so I'm 33 now just for context. So this is over 15 years ago, was selling sports supplements in a retail store. And back then, sports supplements was a very niche industry targeted to bodybuilders. Now it's like a very mainstream health and wellness movement. Back then, only bodybuilders really took supplements. And I was a bodybuilder. Not now, you can see. I've lost quite a bit of size since that. But uh, I loved weight training. And that was my first ever job, basically being a sales assistant. And I was posting on internet forums. I was very online on bodybuilding.com and then I had a link in my signature going back to retail stores website and we had five brick and mortar stores and a small growing e-commerce operation and I got a phone call one day from the owner saying are you out in kitchen and I said yeah so I started worry thinking I've done something wrong and he said what have you done to send all this traffic back to our website are you posting on these internet forums and I said yeah he said, wow, this is amazing. Do you want to come here and learn about e-commerce? And back then, everything was custom coded from the ground up. There was no Shopify. There was no, no code solutions. It was all heavily custom, very new industry. And that's how I fell into email. We used to send a weekly newsletter. It was super successful. It was very focused around content and community. I also built an internet forum 
for their website. I wrote a massive amount of content, hence why I'm still doing it today. And that sort of engraves my philosophy and approach to email and e-commerce. It's add value, distribute high quality content. People will buy as a byproduct of enjoying engaging from you. And that's been the start and how it's led to today. Eventually I had my own store. It wasn't so successful, unfortunately. I've done quite a lot of other things in between, all within the realm of internet marketing. And I'd started the agency sort of four years ago, realized that the market for e-commerce was consolidating around Clavio and Shopify. Knew that was my skill and niche down. And here we are today, we've worked with some amazing brands, Gong Strong, we have a really great team. And I'm still loving it, still learning a lot every single day from people like yourself. You've got to stay curious, still innovate, and there's always new tech and new strategies to learn. And that's what I try and do. All right. That was a great condensed version answer. So thank you. You've gotten really active on LinkedIn, sharing tips and flows and your profile has grown with it. So what was the biggest surprise with all that activity? I could answer this question in multiple ways, but to give you context as to why I started to post on LinkedIn, it's because when we started the company, I had no money and this is all I knew what to do. So I started posting because I didn't know how else to generate leads and attention. And I enjoy writing content and sharing strategy. And like many people I heard that they don't post because they have imposter syndrome, even though I think I was even very experienced at the start, it was still a bit nerve wracking for me. So I started posting after about a year, tumbleweeds, no traction. All of a sudden people started to message me and say, I really enjoy your strategy. I like how you talk about things and that really gave me momentum to keep going. So the biggest win, obviously, is building my business off the back of LinkedIn. Can't deny that I do it for lead generation. But the secondary benefit, which is just as important, if not more, is that I've met amazing people, like really good friends who are some of my best friends offline now. So not only has it helped us build the business, I've just met like amazing entrepreneurs and really kind people who went out of their way to, to help me and hopefully I've been able to reciprocate for them. And that obviously motivates me to continuously post more today. Now, I guess that's it. Like I find from my LinkedIn activity, like most of the people I end up connecting with are other marketers and email people. Yeah. Not really leads so much, but that's how it works. And that's a great, the email community is awesome and talent is out there. So that's definitely helpful. Oh, come on. All right, there we go. All right. What were some of the struggles when you got started? You started in 2018, right? Yes, late 2018, I believe. Probably early 2019. But struggles, same as everyone else, no money. Just having to do everything yourself. Building emails, designing emails, writing copy doing the strategy, sending invoices, like still offer any business owner, but I think you're grateful for it once you advance to a certain level. And some of the struggles today is obviously, I think on a personal level, once you get more established, it's making sure that the team is trained to the right standards and they're able to carry the baton for you and represent the company well. And I think that's something that all business owners 
have an ongoing challenge with. And I think we've done a lot of great things for the staff, put like rigorous training in place and constantly have an open culture of trying to innovate and encourage people to make mistakes and just try new things because we don't want to become commoditized like a lot of the other agencies and just do drag and drop repeat templated stuff. If we do that, we'll die and we'll compete on price. So it's always been the philosophy to try and do something different, become more integrated into the business. That's difficult because it's not necessarily a scalable business model as opposed to a copy and paste type of templated strategy and design approach, but gives us a lot of satisfaction. That's just the direction we went in. No, that's a great point. Like you try to be the bleeding edge on the industry. Try. Um, and that, that's awesome. All right. So what do you feel like the keys were to growing? Thank God today, right? You're in a certain place. And I assume you want to continue that trajectory. So what would, what do you feel like were like the main things that really helped you get there? Yeah, it's a good question. I thought a lot about this year as well. Obviously, I've mentioned in the beginning, content marketing has been critical for us and it's still a main driver today. I break like agency sales down to, I think it's three or four methods. I think you've got organic type content marketing for leadership, whatever you want to call it. That was always the main pillar for us. That's worked well, but it took a lot of time to gain traction. Luckily now it's established, it's built this sort of moat around the business because we're very well known for a certain elements of like how we do strategy. Then you have like direct response methods, which I was classed called outbound Facebook ads. We haven't had any success with these really, to be completely honest, we've dabbled with a bit of cold outbound and I don't like it, but it's been hit and miss. And I just personally don't enjoy that at all because I think it sets you off on the wrong footing. But I know many agency owners who've got great results from it. So mm-hmm. I don't want to just disregard it completely. And the third one is partnerships. So obviously I think in the beginning it's difficult because you don't really have much value to provide to other business owners, even marketers who you want to do these reciprocal type of arrangements where you recommend clients if you have a good fit for each other. And that's really picked up traction a lot for us in the last year and a half as I've focused more on it. And also just to be completely candid, being able to refer our clients out to trusted partners so we don't handle things like paid media or SEO. Well, I have good friends who have looked after our clients and if there's a good opportunity and it's a good match, then I'll make an introduction vice versa, they try and do the same for me. I don't remember if we, if this question's in there, <laughs> it could be sometimes a struggle as an email marketing agency that you don't control the entire business. You're really just a piece of that pie. So how do you avoid clients that really don't have a lot of inbound leads and struggle on that side? And do you have a whole like filtering process or like you'll take it on and then figure it yeah, out? Yeah, it's a good question. I think. Ultimately, this is something I realized as well in the last year is that you're only as good as the business that you're working with. So your results are tied to what they actually are able to like produce in terms of value to customers, right? There's no magic wands for attention. If the product is shit, then it doesn't matter. The emails <laughs> or texts that you send, people are all going to come back and buy it. So. It, it, you're the sum of the parts of the business and ultimately if they lack fundamentals, then there is 
some level of results you can get them but you're always limited when a perfect world we would have these amazing clients who have super strong businesses but that's not reality like every business goes through struggles there's and you know it's no different for us as it is for our clients i always laugh when you see these people on linkedin and social say like all clients are crushing it but everyone else is well, like you control one area of the business if there's a lot that goes into this especially in e-commerce you don't control the product you're not setting like the margins the merchandising strategy unit economics and all the other elements like you're just a part of the machine not to downplay your importance you are an important part of it but like it's a collective process where everyone's responsible for the results it's not solely down to you and by that definition, we're limited, but also the sky is the limit. If you work with a great brand, there's a lot you can do. Yeah, for sure. All right. When you're onboarding a new client, what's the playbook? Like, how did, you know, what's step one, step two, step three? I don't think give away the whole thing, but I'd love to know a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So there's two elements, right? Like I actually have a good article on our website, which I could just regurgitate now, but like I'll, I'll break it down into two <laughs> elements. There's strategy, business sides of things. And then for us, there's also a design consideration as well. So we tackle both of them in tandem when we onboard a new client. And there's like a series of questions, obviously, and investigative workshops. And we've actually slowed this process down quite a bit to make sure that we do it right. So the strategy side, it's like looking at data, auditing the existing setup, because most of the businesses that approach us are not starting from ground zero. And then analyzing like technical malfunctions and flows, the sending infrastructure, the campaigns, et cetera. You have all that basic type of stuff. And then it's like putting a strategy together, right? Based on what the projections are in terms of the data, like where you see opportunity. And then on the design side, we do a series of workshops where we look at what they've said in the past. They like about the current design, what assets they have, what type of image they want to pray in the future. And then we'll do like a mock-up with templates for copy and design. And then once we get aligned on that side of things, then we will start to move forward and say, okay, here's a strategy. And we'll start to send the designs across to the clients. It can take two to three weeks to get them fully onboarded and do it right. But I think by slowing down at the beginning, we've been able to reduce friction or a month, say, for example, if you're not aligned on strategy and design, it can be like very hard to rebuild momentum. That's why we slowed things down and being quite comprehensive for us. And we've changed a lot of things, but now I think we're in a place on it. All right. Awesome. Right, how much are you involved in the day-to-day? -day? You talked about in the beginning, like everything, you're on your own pretty much. But today, I assume you split your time between looking at the data and looking at what's going on. Yeah, so how does, you know, how much are you involved in actual work and how much are you doing like content stuff and how do you divide your time? So I'm not involved in the actual deliverables much anymore. I know exactly what's going on with pretty much all our accounts because of massive agency, right? Like I know all our clients personally. I am aware like of whether we're having success, whether we need to change some things. I have a, an intimate relationship with everyone on the team. So I understand like where we're up to on everything, but I'm not creating the strategy. I'm quite outspoken and I love strategy. I, so I have like tons of suggestions and 
ultimately it's up to the strategist to implement what they feel is best for the client because they have the most context on the business. And I've had to become a better leader, and manager of the business. So I can't do all that work anymore, but I still love it. And it's important for me to understand the industry. So I do have some involvement there. So it's more of a guidance, like a leadership level, I suppose. I don't do the day-to-day building up the emails, writing, copy and stuff. Although from time to time, I like to jump and share my two cents. And most of my work these days is centered around building new content, marketing and sales. That's what keeps the lights on and keeps people paid in the company. So I have to look at where I create the most leverage for the company. Uh, it's definitely in those areas. All right. All right. What opportunities do you feel many brands are missing out on when it comes to email? Just looking at it from the context of sales only. I know that's, at least for my industry, any business, right? You need to drive sales. I completely understand that. And I'm not naive, but I basically built our business around the fact that there's so much more you can do besides drive sales with email. There's qualitative research, there's UGC, you can create content, you can do engaging competitions with your audience, zero party data, improve acquisition, customer research. There's so many things you can do with email and so many secondary objectives to drive revenue. And I just feel as though they're massively, massively neglected by a lot of brands and marketers. And that's what I try to put a lot of effort into in terms of the methodology of how we approach things. And I think that's like the, the value proposition of our company as well, of why people come to us. All right. Attention, e-commerce business owners. Hi, I'm Hillel, and thank you for listening to Inboxing. Hillel Bergel Marketing is here to skyrocket your e-commerce sales. With personalized campaigns and conversion optimization, we'll help you maximize profits. Hillel Berg Email Marketing, your partner, for success. All right, do you always operate? And we talk about we're, all of what we talk about so far is always done for you. But I assume there are companies that come to you and ask you just to consult and like just help them out in some way. Do you do it both ways, or just, if you want to work with Magnum Monster, and this is the way we do business? We've done it both ways. To be completely honest with you, we prefer to do done for you, but we're not averse to collaborating with people on ad hoc type agreements and. There's pros and cons to both, I think, ultimately, if you look at brands who are super meticulous on levels of branding and stuff, then there's definitely a teething period where you have to understand the brands and trying to achieve where if they have an in-house design team, then, you know, that will always take a bit more time to get. And on the like consulting type part of the agreements, you can be held up by the brand's ability to execute. So I've seen this happen a lot where they say they want to control design, for example, and I'm like, okay, you really want to do that? And they go, yeah, no problem. We can churn out 10 emails, one or 15 emails. And then you present a strategy and then three months later, there's not a single email came back and hopefully that's bad for us and it's bad for the clients because they don't get results and we don't get any satisfaction from our work. So I've seen pros and cons to both, I think. In a perfect world, it's completely done for you. And we handle everything because I know my team, I trust them. I know all systems are really good. And I don't want to be held up by another business's systems. I think 
a lot of the time it just doesn't work and integrate well. But with that being said, we have done it successfully for some brands and we wouldn't rule it out entirely. It just depends on the state of play in the business. How do you set expectations? I said, like, because you're like, you're producing this content, you're getting these leads and people are very excited to work with you and they probably expect tremendous results. Is it difficult to calm that down a little bit? I think the thing for me is that a lot of people do approach us because they see my content and then obviously they're not going to work with me directly, even though I've still got a big influence on things our team do, it's, if they're not working with me, I'm not setting the strategy. So I always said the way to manage expectations is to just ask the right questions at the beginning. You have to understand the business. And to understand the business, you need a conceptual understanding of business beyond email. So you can't be silos and just think in terms of vanity metrics on the channel. I made a post about this funnily enough yesterday. So ultimately it comes down to asking the right questions and that will allow you to set the right strategy and KPIs and that will manage expectations most clearly. All right. Great. I guess I. Flows into this. So like how much research do you actually do before taking on a client? Have you ever said no to a client? It was just not a good Yeah, thing. tons of times. And even yesterday, I and that didn't necessarily tell them away. It just wasn't a good fit. It can be many reasons. It can be budget. It can be alignment on design. It can be resources on strategy. It can be unrealistic expectations from the clients. So the level of research comes down to, again, me asking the right questions and making sure that one, we're able to help them and two, that the client is like realistic in terms of what they're expecting. If you're not aligned on either of those questions and it's a recipe for churn and you shouldn't take business on because you're going to create a lot of stress with the team, and ultimately, you're not going to be able to deliver some damages your reputation as well. So it's a lose for both parties. Okay. Are there any specific verticals you like to fall into? Are there certain verticals you like to avoid? To be completely honest, no, I find all businesses super interesting. And we've worked with everything from your typical consumer packaged goods like supplements, food products, nutritional products to furniture, sex toys. We've pretty much done every type of business <laughs> you can imagine at this point. And I think for me personally, that's what keeps it interesting and fresh is that we have so many different clients and different verticals and each one has a different strategy, different business dynamics, unit economics, channel strategy. And that's what keeps me excited and passionate for it. It's not the same thing over and over again. All right. Okay. Now looking in your own inbox, like what emails or brands you like to sign up for and you enjoy their content and get inspiration from? There's not too many to be completely honest with you. Hello. Yeah, I think the main problem with email is just the same thing over and over again. It's like bombarding me with relentless offers when I'm not really interested in them. It neglects the fact that I'm not in the market at that specific time. So. It's very hard for me to say what my favorite brand emails are. I really like Magic Spoon. I think they've got beautiful design, love the experience that they deliver at least. And then the brands that, that we create the strategy for have really good content as well. All right. Okay. Yeah. You've done obviously a million 
campaigns before, but you have know, some of your best campaigns or not best performing necessarily, but things that you're really proud of. Yeah. I spoke on another podcast with Blake in peril from Wonsman's last week and went into some of these campaigns that it's on, but we've created like quite a few really interesting gamified emails where the customer has to respond like a fax or fiction game. They have to click the buttons in the email and get the answers to a question or a quiz. And they've performed like super, super well. And obviously that has a subsequent knock-on effect on brand engagement metrics and also operability as well and future inbox placements and sales sometimes. So I've generated like way more sales from doing these fun content-related pieces that aren't even focused on selling directly, but as a byproduct of them being super engaged, they've generated a lot of sales. Some of the brands we've done that with, the main one that stands out in the past is Spotlight Oral Care, and I think Wild, the deodorant brands are another one as well. We've got really good results for both of them using these gamified ideas. All right, awesome. And that's in the welcome, right? Like in your welcome series, you're asking these questions, making it fun, making it interesting and getting responses. And that definitely deepens. We do it in post-purchase series and also like just general campaigns as well, where we send them out and just create these gamified ideas. They've done really well. So I think you use them in tons of areas in the business. And it's just the buttons are just linking to different landing pages. That's just the Yeah, simple. correct. There's no like crazy code, no click and reveal yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, correct. All right. So what are your tops, top tips for pushing an email program to the next level? I think the biggest evolution for me was realizing, going back to what I was saying before, that if I want to provide value to a business, I need to think beyond the limitations of the channel. I think this is the biggest step you can make in terms of how much of an asset you are and the results you're able to generate is understanding the nature of the business that you're operating in. For example, if you're in e-commerce, then you can't just focus exclusively on email revenue. You need to understand how inventory is managed, the calendar for the year, the omni-channel strategy. If you really want to push the program to the next level, you need to find out how your marketing activity integrates with these other channels and parts of the business that will dramatically elevate your level of skill and how much of an asset you are to the business because you're not thinking within the confines of here's what's best for email. You're thinking what's best for the business itself and that will massively improve your strategy. No, that's awesome. All right. Where do you see Magnum Monster, let's say in a year from now or in five years from now? Hope I'll be retired. Hope I won't have to answer. He's left Stop. At 34? <laughs> With a lot more gray hair, at least. For me, I always wanted to be completely truthful. I started the company off to, to help myself financially because I came out of a bad position with my previous company. And it became much more than for me. It became about now supporting the team and making sure that the staff are looked after and they've got good career and they are, they're able to look after their families. It's much more important to me. I consider myself much healthier position these days and I want to grow opportunities for them. So 
that's the number one objective I have is to make sure that the people who are with us on this journey are well looked after and they're able to support their families. And the second one is just building an industry leading company that leads the way in terms of innovation, tech, strategy, and amount of value we generate for our clients. And you could argue that comes before almost this, because if we do that first, that we're able to give this great opportunities. So I think they're intertwined really. And whether that will happen in one year, five years, it's a good question. I think it's difficult for me to answer in five years because the pace of the industry is just astronomical. It's incredible actually seeing in the last year, how much things have changed and who knows, right? Like where email is going, but I know your next question, which we can do now is on AI, but. I think, yeah, it could be two years from now where we're not even just emails anymore, which prompting a machine to create everything for us. And then it will be a case of, here's the segments you sent to, here's the most profitable times of the week, the days. It will be very interesting to see how redundant a lot of the work we are doing today will become and at what time frame that happens. I think ultimately our role will just evolve to become more of these like prompters and controllers of the strategy that's guided by the machines. So can't answer that now, but I think that's, de- that's definitely the direction where we're heading. What do you think about that? Yeah, I agree with you in a lot of ways. Like, that, yeah, we don't even know. I think really it's like reminds of like 1996. Like we thought, well, who was thinking about the internet that we'd be like talking like this or it's beyond our imagination, I think. I think we're all surprised, but it could be like a few years we'll have friends that are Machines, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they take a personality, you know what I mean? And it's like they're a human being. It's it's strange and it's creepy in a lot of ways. I just saw about the founder of, of OpenAI talking about how he's nervous about where this yep. might go and what damage it could potentially do. But on the flip side of that, I could do such amazing things like in healthcare, in, in saving tons of time and hours yeah. of of uh, uh, yeah, busy work. I just hope <laughs> that it'll ultimately have a happy ending, but it's it's a little scary. And I'm also curious to see like how quickly or who's going to be the first one to get there, but how ESPs specifically have AI tools integrated into email creation yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think hopefully it will be a force for good, but ultimately we can't change the tech. It's here to stay. So the best we can do is adapt and become We'll have to pivot and remodel our skill sets to adapt around this tech because it's going to be more profitable, less cumbersome, require less code, less human error, and be more accurate than a lot of the things we can do. And it will be our job to control these tools, I think, and create leverage for the business that way. Yeah, for sure. I guess what to know what tools you mentioned Wonderment. That's obviously a tool for SMS and I don't even know enough about it to talk about it, but what are your tools? What tools do you like to use in your, in your agency or, or outside the agency? I don't know. Yeah, we are pretty like software agnostic, but generally speaking, I think my go-to talk, let's say two to five, Clavio for the ESB, our business is heavily built around them for e-commerce, one's events for transactional commerce, email and SMS points, and the other ones that we use quite happily, I would say, are Typeform, 
for like qualitative research surveys, et cetera. Sometimes we use loyalty line quite a bit as well, depending on the brands and their goals. And also, I forgot to post pilots for direct mail. We're also doing some WhatsApp stuff with Charles as well at the moment. So basically like any retention channel we're trying to control and we're usually leading, using, sorry, the industry leading recommendations for them because that's what the ecosystem is typically just built around for integrations and stuff like that. Uh-huh. I say you mentioned one that actually sends mail, like physical yeah, mail? Yeah, Postpilot. Yep. Postpilot. All right. I'll have to check it out. That's cool stuff. Okay. What do you feel are the keys to developing an engaged audience and building a brand? Understand the pain point that you solve for your audience. Try and create as much value around. Differentiate yourself through thinking outside the box. I know that sounds vague and fluffy, but I think a lot of the time when you look at so many brands, they're just all doing the same thing, the same emails, the same social media posts, even like the packaging is looking the same on a lot. And I just think there's a, a big opportunity. If you look at what's canned water, is it liquid death in the US? Liquid death, yeah. They're just being very different. And that's why like they're getting like a lot of traction. They're just thinking outside the box doing fun stuff. And I've seen this in other UK cereal brands. I think it's called Surreal. Yeah. Surreal. I had on Simon Harper. Yeah, he mentioned it as one of his favorites. Yeah, yeah. they just don't want to stop, man. They're just thinking outside the box and trying to cut through the noise. And it's been very effective for them. And they're just not afraid to make mistakes. And I think so many brands can learn from that rather than adhering to best practices and just getting the lost sea of sameness that everyone else is doing. So that would be my best advice is to not look at what people are doing and go against the grain and just try something and then see what sticks. Uh-huh. Yeah, totally hear that. Okay. Do you have any top five things to growing a successful e-commerce business? Sean, you can create 20 things. It's a long time. <laughs> Number one, the products will be great. It's as simple as that, really, because if you look at e-com businesses these days, especially native D2C ones, you really need to have retention built into the products, I think. So great products, strong economics on the product, preferably something that will bring them back. Excellent customer service. As the fifth one, Magnum Allstate got to hire us. Great one. All right, similar question, but top five to growing successful e-com platform, building an awesome, yeah. Marketing strategy. Yeah, I do have a solid formula for this one, but I built my upcoming course around it. So let me just scroll to here. So I think the first step for me is optimize your sending infrastructure for deliverability, because if your emails don't reach the inbox, then nothing really else matters to be completely honest. Yeah. The second thought is map out the customer journey. So everything from pre-purchase to post-purchase to chain risk, understand why people buy, what objections they have, what makes people come back and why do they churn and try and create a framework for your strategy around answering as many of these questions as possible. 
The third part is looking at the data. So how long does it take someone to buy? When does someone typically come back to buy again from first to second purchase? When is someone considered churn? churned? These are things that you should have the answers to in order to create the right type of automation and segmentation strategy for campaigns around. The fourth is then building a strategy upon these insights. So you've got the foundational knowledge now, you understand your audience and you should be creating content around solving these questions, answering them at each point of the customer journey. And the fifth one is just reporting and testing relentlessly. So you should never rest on your laurels once you've got this set up. You need to continuously develop new hypotheses, test, come to a conclusion, and then go on to testing the next thing because your job is never done. All right. Awesome. All right. We did it, man. <laughs> it's time for your final thoughts. Yeah. You're talking about the course that you're going to launch soon, apparently. And anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. No, I appreciate the chance to talk the course. I think the main thing for me is that if anyone wants to learn about the strategies that we've talked about, we release them every Thursday through our newsletter. Then you can subscribe by going to marketmonster.com.uk slash newsletter. Every Thursday, as I said, we release a new strategy that we're implementing with our clients. So first of all, please subscribe there. And I will release more details on the course soon. It's going to come out soon. It's going to be about all these advanced strategies. It's not going to be basic. So if you're looking for answers to how to build an abandoned course or how to integrate Shopify with Clavio, this is not for you. This is for serious marketers who want advanced strategies about some of the things that we discussed today. Hello, and hopefully that is what people are looking for because there's enough basic advice out there. We need someone who is going to go against the grain and suggest new things. And that's why I've tried to focus the content of the course around. Subscribe to the newsletter and you'll be first to hear about it when it comes out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Really value this last 40 minutes. I noticed there were some hiccups on, on internet stuff. I'm not sure what happened, but hopefully stick around. I'll be with you in a minute. Yeah, that's the end of our show. Thanks for sticking around. I hope you all enjoyed. We didn't get any comments, but I hope you guys are watching and enjoyed it. And look for it on Spotify and all those other great platforms for listening to podcasts. Bye-bye. That's all for today's episode of Inboxing. Uh, big thank you to our guest. And if you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you've got suggestions, please just reach out to me at hello.com. Um, before we go, I want to remind you there's still sponsorship opportunities available for Inboxing. Uh, so if you're interested, you could just reach out to me again. Thank you for listening and tune in next week, every Monday, for the next episode of Inboxing.